Uh, Philippians 4, 1 to 9. So then, my brothers, you are dearly loved and longed for, my joy and my crown. In this matter, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Eurodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is contendable, commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Hey, everyone. Um, keep your Bibles open, and I'll pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your word, uh, and that your word allows us... Um, allows us to see the big picture of things uh, and you guide us how to respond when things that are out of control happen in our life. Um, you teach us what, what, how to respond to that. And so I pray tonight that as we uh, go through these passages, uh, guard our hearts to see what you are saying. Uh, help us not to bring what we want your word to say to this, but um, yeah, help me to explain this clearly. Amen. So, um, at Holly's, we have family dinner every Monday night, and we're at Holly's family's house a couple of weeks ago, and we were looking at old family photos. And Holly wouldn't let me show any of hers up here, but I brought mine so you could see. This is Blake's one, bro. You need a, there's another one there. Wait two secs for this. But anyway, there's photos of, there's photos of me up there. Uh, and the thing about family photos is you look back and you think, mom, how could you have let me warn that? And in one of these photos, I was actually wearing Birkenstocks back then. So I was like way ahead of my time. But I was wearing these like baggy pants and, you know, just think, man, what, what was I thinking? Uh, but it brings back good memories. And when you look back over these family's photos, they remind you of good times. You know, times when life was simpler, when you didn't have as many worries as you do now. Because as you get older, the things, things in life uh, start to get a bit more stressful. You start having to pay bills and keep up with, with deadlines for work. Uh, you have to start thinking through complicated relationships. You have to uh, do a lot of other things that you didn't have to worry about uh, when, you're a, when you're a child. And, you know, some of you might be sitting there thinking, you know, maybe I'm not, uh, I'm, like, I'm going through life now and it's not that stressful, but just wait a little bit. <laughs> no? Um, if there's one thing we can be certain in life is that nothing is certain. And when those waves come crashing down in life, when you're awake at night thinking, you know, how am I going to face this tomorrow when you can't sleep, how do you stand firm? How do you not crumble and break away? How do you not lash out at people? How do you stand firm in these times and what gives you hope? 
Well, Paul was someone who modeled how to stand firm. As as we've been seeing in the book of Philippians, he's someone who has been through a lot. He's writing this letter from prison. He's been beaten up for preaching the gospel. He's possibly facing a death sentence. He's someone who knows what suffering is. He, he, and as in that video he said before, he's someone who did worry, but he knew how to approach worry and he knew how to stand firm in the midst of those circumstances. And that's what Paul wants for the Philippians, for this church that he's planted. Uh, as we've seen so far, they are being persecuted for following Jesus. Now they come up, those pictures. Um, can look at them later. Uh, oh, they're going to stay up there for a bit. Uh, they have been persecuted for, for believing in Jesus. And not only that, they face the threat of false teachers also coming into their church. And on top of that, there's, this, there's a possibility, not there's a possibility, there's conflict going on within the church. And so the church is very unsettled with all these different things happening. And Paul's desire for the church at this time is for them to stand firm to not be shaken by whatever is happening. And so the big question I want us to to look at tonight and think about is that how can the Philippians stand firm in the midst of this debt persecution? And also for us, when the anxieties of life come our way, how can we stand firm? And the answer that the passage gives us tonight is that we need to look at the big picture and apply the truth of that big picture to all areas of life. And so how we're going to move through this passage tonight is we're going to look at that big picture uh, and we see that Paul then applies it to two situations in life, to relationships and to anxieties. And then he ends it off by showing us how we can continue to stand firm. Uh, And so firstly, we're going to look at the big picture. Now, Paul is saying that the way the Philippians are to stand firm in the, the midst of their persecution, the way that we are to stand firm when worries and anxieties come our way, is to look at the big picture of salvation, to remember what Jesus has done for us. And so if you look at verse 1 in your, in your Bible there, uh, he starts this off saying, so then, my brothers. And so he's referring to what he's just said at the end of chapter 3. So then, uh, you who are dearly loved and longed for, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord. So let's have a look at what Paul's referring to. I've got it up in the screen there, and I'm just going to read it out. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul knows when the Philippians look out there, when we look out there and we see everything changing, it brings a sense of unsettledness to our hearts. We look out there and we, we know that things aren't the way that they're meant to be. You know, no matter how good a marriage is, someone always dies. No matter how good your health might be, none of us are exempt from getting sick. None of us uh, are exempt you know, from getting old and losing you know, uh, the ability from different parts of our bodies. As good as the people around us are, as good as our friends are, people change, people move away, and people die. There's no joy in this life that lasts. There's no happiness in this life that lasts. See, the reality is, is that we know that things aren't the way that they're meant to be. When we look at all the good things that we do have in this life, we have this feeling inside us that they should last. We want a joy that does last. We want... um, We want happiness that does last. We know that worrying isn't right. We know that we shouldn't have to mourn, that we shouldn't have these experiences. It feels wrong. 
And so what Paul is, is trying to get the Philippians to see, what he's trying to get us to see, is that there is a place where there is eternal joy. In fact, there's a person in whose presence eternal joy is always there. And not only does the eternal joy come from him last forever, but it's always getting new in his presence. It's getting better every second. And I know if you've heard me do a talk before, I quote this a lot, but Revelation 21 is just so helpful for me to picture what this is like. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with their God. He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the older order of things have passed away. Paul, Paul is saying to us that this is our future. If you are in Christ, if you trust in Jesus, this is how we stand firm. We, we look at life through the perspective of this big picture of what Jesus has achieved for us. And notice Paul's not saying that the Philippians' persecution is going to go away. He's not saying that our anxieties, our worries, whatever troubles you're going through, they're not going to magically vanish. But Paul is saying when we look at life through this perspective, when we truly understand what Jesus has done for us, everything that we go through in this life will be like a blip in the universe. Compared to what's coming, to, compared to what Jesus has achieved for us, all of these things are just temporary. And so Paul is saying to the Philippians, he's saying to us, when we go through times of uncertainty, when we go through times when, we're, when we can't sleep at night, when we don't know why certain things are happening, he's saying, lift your eyes, lift your hearts to the bigger picture. That's how we stand firm. Now, I know some of you guys are thinking, I've, you know, I've heard all of that before. I know that the Bible says God is in control. I know that uh, Jesus died for me. I know that if I trust in him, I'll go to heaven. I know all these things. Uh, but how does that help me with how I'm feeling right now? Uh, and so can I suggest if you are feeling that way, if, if that's what you're thinking, you might know what the Bible says, but I wonder if you actually believe what it says. If you believe the claims of the Bible, if you actually think they're true, believe that they're true, do you believe the claims that the Bible makes about life, about eternity? Do you believe the claims it makes about there being a creator God? The claims about him being in control and about him revealing himself to us through Jesus. Because if these things are true, if there is a creator God, if there is uh, an eternity, if he is in control and if he has come down through Jesus to make himself known to us, then that means there is a hope to our anxieties, to our suffering, to our pain. But if it's not true, if there's no God, if there is no eternity, if all that happens when we die is that our bodies just rot in the ground, then what hope is there? What hope is there to anything that we do in this life? See, what you, what you need to do, if you're thinking that, you need to work out for yourself, do you really believe what the Bible says? Do you trust it? Do you believe it's true? Or is it just another method among all the other self-help methods that are out there that you're just using for the time being to cope with life, to cope with whatever's happening? I knew a guy a few years ago, uh, and he had a horrible upbringing. A lot of terrible stuff was done to him. Uh, but he eventually started going to a friend's church, and he was getting involved with everything, uh, and it looked like on the outside that he was loving it. But unfortunately, he had a relapse, and he had to go back to his psychologist. Uh, and what the psychologist told him, he said to him that uh, Christianity is just a crutch that you're leaning on. It's just another method that you're using to cope with what's going on in life. And sadly, this guy, uh, as far as I know, he's no longer following Jesus. He's no longer uh, joined to a church. Um, I'm not sure where he's at the moment. 
but when I look back now, uh, I wonder if he actually ever truly believed what, was ha- what, what he was hearing when he came to church. If he ever really opened the Bible for himself and examined what Jesus had to say, the claims that Jesus made. Uh, and if he truly believed that, or did it just make him feel good for the moment, and was it just something that he was using to cope? Christianity is not just another method. Method. You've got to sit down with the Bible and work out, is this true? Because if it is true, it's life-changing. But if it's not true, then you might as well just chuck it out with any other method that doesn't work. See, the Bible, it doesn't give us five steps on how to make anxiety goes away. The Bible always starts with the big picture. It wants us to answer the big pictures of life, and it teaches us how to respond to when anxiety comes our way, to when worry comes our way. When we understand the big picture first, it puts everything else in perspective. It'll put persecution for the Philippians in perspective. It'll put persecution when we go through suffering, when we go through worrying, when we look through the big picture, it brings it all into perspective. That's the key, how we stand firm through it. And so what Paul now does is he takes this big picture and he applies it to two areas of life. And the first thing is that he applies it to some disunity that's going on in the church. So verses 2 to 5. One of the areas in life, as I'm sure you all know, that can be most uh, unstable at times is our relationships. They can cause a lot of anxieties. And it doesn't even have to be uh, between, between the two people. I don't know if you've ever walked into a room where two people are having a fight or you know that they don't like each other. And you can just cut the tension with a knife. Like they don't even have to be speaking and you're just waiting for someone to say something and it's about to go down. And that's sort of like what's happening in the church at, at, at Philippi at the moment. There are these two women who uh, are at this level of disagreement where it's bringing deep unsettlement within the church. And we're not sure what the issue between these two women are. We, we know that it's not a gospel issue because Paul says that they contended for the gospel with Paul that their names are written in the book of life. So it wasn't that they were going against the gospel. They were on side, but the problem was that they weren't united. And what Paul does is that he approaches this situation, this relationship, this disunity, through the big picture. So he doesn't give them a method on how to resolve their conflict. He doesn't take sides. He doesn't say that they should agree on everything. But what he does say that they should agree on is in the Lord. If you look at verse 4, he calls them to rejoice. Rejoice for what God has done for them. Rejoice that they are citizens of heaven. Rejoice of knowing that they are certain of where they're headed. To remember what Jesus has done for them to make this a reality. See, Paul is saying when the wonderful truth of the gospel shapes our heart, where does the pettiness that causes disunity come from? Lift your thoughts up to where you're headed. Instead, look at verse 5. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Treat each other just like Jesus treated you. When we were sinners, Jesus died for us. That's how we're to treat each other. Now remember, this is in within the context of a church. So Paul, he's speaking to Christians and he's saying, in the church, there's no room for disunity. Among God's people, there's no room for disunity. And we've got to face the fact is that the reality is we're not going to agree on everything. And it's okay to disagree, and we've got to remember that we're all sinners. We're saved sinners, but we are sinners. None of us are perfect. And so if you are bitter towards someone at the moment, if you do have some argument going on with one of your brothers or sisters in church, what Paul is saying, he's saying, 
Go and fix that problem, but remember the big picture. Remember what's important. Preach the gospel, maintaining unity in church, loving one another. Treat each other with the same graciousness that Jesus treated you with. Keep your eyes on the big picture. That's how we stand firm in our relationships at church. And secondly, he applies it uh, to anxiety. Uh, so he applies this big truth, uh, the big picture to our anxieties. Uh, and he says, don't worry about anything, but, and what comes after this but matters, because if we don't do what comes after this, we remain anxious. In everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what do we do when we worry? We pray. And you might be thinking, all these Christians ever talk about is pray. You know, you get a flat tire, pray about it. You're sick, I'll pray for you. And that is true. We do pray about everything. But look at how Paul calls us to pray. He doesn't say just pray, but he calls us to pray with thanks. In everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, then the peace of God, which passes every, which passes every thought, will guard your hearts with, with the mind of Christ Jesus. See, Paul is not calling us just to pray, pray our worries and just bring it all to God. But he's saying, do that, but do it with thanksgiving in light of the big picture, in light of knowing that God's in control, in, right, in light of Romans 8.28, that God is working for the good of those that he loves. See, the Bible says that God didn't design the world to be the way that it is today. Our sin uh, has brought the suffering. Our sin and suffering is a result of our alienation from God. But the good news is that God hasn't withdrawn himself from this world. He came to this world and he dealt with our biggest anxiety that any of us, any human being ever has to face. He dealt with the anxiety of being separated from him forever. And so while we, we will face worries in this life, while we will go through pain, we have an assurance that it's only going to be temporary, that it's not going to last forever. And Paul is saying that's what we have to be thankful for. When we come, come to God to pray about whatever we're going through, pray in thankfulness for what he's done for you. And he's not saying that when we pray that God's going to take your, your worries away. He's not saying that the persecution for the Philippians is going to stop. But what he's saying is that when we pray in light of this big picture, in light of the fact that God is working out for the good of those that he loves, whatever happens, happens in life, whether it's good or bad, God is using that to grow you up and build you. John Newton, the guy that wrote Amazing Grace, he said this, everything that God lets through must be necessary. Everything he withholds couldn't be necessary. And I guess that brings us back to the question, do you really believe him? Do you really trust the claims of the Bible? Do you trust God? Because the root of our anxiety, the root of our worries is that we don't actually trust God that's with the fact that he's in control. And what we do is we try and take control of things that we have no control over. A couple of months ago, we went to Japan with the Sandals. And on our last day, we had to catch a train back to the airport. And so if you've been to Japan before, you know the trains can be a bit confusing at times. But we chatted to the people in our hotel, and we knew the way to go. Uh, and so we were on our way. But I've never seen Anne so worried in my life before. Like, I've never seen someone study a map so intently. All the way to the airport, she was just glued to that map, and she did not trust us one bit. And I understand why she doesn't trust us. Um, 
But it does give us a picture of that's how we treat God. We don't trust him. See, in, in the book of Matthew, Jesus calls us to be like little children. That's how we enter the kingdom of heaven. And one of the reasons he says that is that we need to trust God like a little child. Kids don't understand why everything happens, why everything happens in their lives. They don't understand why their parents withhold certain things from them. I saw this on Facebook the other day, and it just gives, gives reasons of why the kid's crying and why the parents not letting them have what they want to do. Uh, and again, that's what it's like with God. We've got to understand that if there is a creator God, if he is all-knowing, we're not going to know anything. We're like kids that have to trust him. We have to remember that we're not God, we're not all-knowing, we're not all-powerful. Have you ever thought about the disciples, you know, when they stood in front of the cross and they saw Jesus getting crucified, and they saw everything happening, they probably thought to themselves, what good can God bring out of this? And they ran away. But at that moment, what they didn't realize was the greatest act of love that we've ever seen. At that moment, God was securing their future and our future. As Christians, every circumstance that we face in this life, not only when we worry, but also the good circumstances as well, we view it through the cross. We view it through the big picture. That's why when we do face our anxieties, the way we pray in thankfulness is we say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing right now, but I thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do. I thank you ahead of time for what you're teaching me through this. And it's a hard prayer to pray, but that's what God's word calls us to pray. We don't run away, we don't despair, but we come to God and we say, Lord, I don't know, but I thank you ahead of time. See, viewing, viewing our worries, viewing our anxieties in light of the big picture, it moves us to come to God in prayer with thanksgiving. It moves us to have a peace that he is in control and that he's working for the good of those that he loves. And lastly, verse 8 and 9 Paul gives us advice on how to keep standing firm. If you want to read it with me, verse 8 to 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. See, as the Philippians face persecution, as we face our anxieties in life, uh, there's going to be times in life where we're just so tempted to let our minds reset back to worrying, to go back to our old ways and let the peace of God escape us. There are going to be times where it's easy to trust God, easy to say that you are in control. Uh, but there are also going to be times when we doubt him times where we question him, times where we want to retreat from him, where we want to cut off relationships at church with the people God has given you to love you. We want to go back and just sit in our worried mindset. And I know that's true for me. There's, I, I doubt God at times. I question him. I've, I've sat in the car sometimes and I've said to God, don't understand why you're doing this. Like you've promised that you'd be here, but where are you? We all have these areas of doubt, but Paul is saying when we go through these times, focus on what is true. Focus on what is pure and what is lovely. Now, what's Paul saying here? What's he, what's he asking us to focus on? And I really don't think he's telling us to like, have a positive mental attitude. He's not asking you to look up some positive motivational quote or go look up a motivational video and feel good about yourself. What I think he's doing and what I was reminded of when I was reading this is that 
the words that he uses here is the same way that David uses in Psalm 19 to describe God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commands of the Lord are radiant. The fear of the Lord is pure. The decrees of the Lord are firm and righteous. More precious than gold, sweeter than honey. By them your servant is warned in keeping them. There is great reward. You see, when I look back at the times where I felt overwhelmed, at the times where I was questioning God, I can directly link that back to how I was reading his word, what I was focusing on at that time. I was either hardly reading his word or I was just reading it and ticking it off the list of things to do that day. I wasn't focusing on the truths that he was teaching me, on what God was teaching me about himself. I wasn't focused on the big picture. But on the times where I was focused on his word, you know, not just reading it for the sake of it, if you came to me and said the Bible doesn't do anything for me, I'd be like, yeah, and I'm white. I think you're crazy. How could the Bible not move you? Paul is saying to the Philippians, when you go through persecution, he's saying to us, when we go through our anxieties, when we doubt God, go back to his word. Let his word shape your mind about his goodness about the assurance that we have in Jesus. And look at verse 9. What's the result of that? The God of peace will be with you. When we open God's word, God speaks. Don't say that God doesn't speak to you if you keep his word shut. I want to finish with this parable Jesus told about the wise and foolish builder. He said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and put them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the worries of this life, the streams rose and the winds blew against and beat that house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice, practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. How do we stand firm? Build your life on the word of God. Come to him in thankfulness with what he's done for you through Jesus. Know that when you open your word, he's there to guide you, to speak to you through whatever you're going through. That's how we'll stand firm in the Lord. Let me pray. Lord, there's so much in that passage. Um, I ask that as we go away this week, help us to continue to meditate on the truths of what you've just said through this. I ask that you would help us through whatever comes in the future to know that you are a good God, that whatever you let through in our life, you're using that to build us up and that we have a hope that is sure. I just ask that your spirit will help us to see that's true. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.